0: Straight out of college, I or straight out of grad school, actually, I was living in Washington D.C. and my parents had that unfortunate conversation with me of "You have to start contributing." Um, <laughs> and I thought they were kidding for a while. And, and so I asked my cousin, who was living there, I said, "You know, I need a job." He was working for the Patent and Trademark Office, and he connected me with his actual real estate agent at the time. I worked as her assistant for about a year, and then got my license and. What I realized is it was something I was great at, but not something that really like ignited my passion and that I loved. And so I did that for about 10, 15 years almost and loved every second of the time I was doing it. But, you know, call it a midlife crisis, if you will. But I have kind of had this epiphany at the the end of last year, end of 2022 of, What can I do? What's my purpose?
1: Welcome to another episode of Best of Johnston County, brought to you by Breeden Law Office. Our host, Jonathan Breeden, an experienced family lawyer with a deep connection to the community, is ready to take you on a journey through the area that he has called home for over 20 years. Whether it's a deep dive into the love locals have for the county, or unraveling the complexities of family law, Best of Johnston County, presents an authentic slice of this unique community.
2: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Best of Johnson County podcast. And I'm your host, Jonathan Breeden. And today we have a special guest with us, Alyssa Hellman, and she owns Dynamic Performance Training And she also runs the basketball program for the Greater Cleveland Athletic Association. So we're happy to have her here. We're going to talk a little bit about physical training. We're going to talk a little bit about Greater Cleveland Athletic Association. We're going to talk a little bit about Johnston County. I've been looking forward to this since we were able to get her scheduled a few weeks ago. Welcome to the program.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: So we'll start with, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
0: Sure. So I'm Alyssa Hellman. I run a company called Dynamic Performance Training, which is an athletic performance training company focused on youth athletes. So we train athletes from ages about seven years old all the way up to college athletes.
2: Okay. And what kind of training do y'all provide?
0: Sure. So everything from hand-eye coordination to speed and agility to strength and conditioning. Really, most athletes come to us, some with sports-specific goals, some just with hey, they need to be faster, whatever their goals are, then we uniquely tailor a program to them to help them uh, achieve whatever those goals may be.
2: Okay, so what are some of the exercises that you have them do to try to get faster? That's always the one that everybody wants to be faster.
0: Yeah, so faster, a lot of the time we talk to kids about actually their movement. So most of the kids that come to me, I, I initially connect with them by saying, you can blame your parents because your parents never taught you how to run. So your parents teach you how to walk, but then everybody's so excited that you're walking that nobody teaches you anything else. And you just learn how to run yourself and oftentimes pick up some really bad habits. So for instance, your knees may not drive as high as they need to. Your stride might be fairly short. Um, And it's really a much different movement if you're sprinting than if you're running a mile. Um, And so helping kids kind of understand that because a lot of the time in sports, unless you're an endurance long distance runner or something like that, it's a very specific way where you're using the balls of your feet and and things like that. So that's that's really what we help kids kind of wrap their head around. And then it it translates incredibly fast, which is actually part of why we we initially went with kids is things connect and you see the changes so rapidly with kids that uh, we really enjoy it.
2: Well, and part of it, I guess, is the, the, the posture of the way they're running, even with the, their position of their upper body, their, their chin level for air, i not, believe me, I'm a long <laughs> way from being an athlete, but I know these are things that you work with children on.
0: Yeah. So we talk a lot about lean fall run. So their the trajectory of their shoulders and how they get a good start, what foot that they're leading with, how their arms are moving along with their legs. And that's where once somebody sits there and takes the time to teach them how to do those things, then we see drastic results in only two to three lessons and then from there we can really build on it
2: right and then i guess the children have to go home and they have homework between the sessions some of us parents get a little frustrated <laughs> my son is trained with you some and you know you got to do the homework you're not going to get it so much better an hour a week working with you and the trainers that you have you know what i mean you still have to do the homework and Sometimes kids don't want to do the homework.
0: Right. I mean, homework is not fun, regardless of if it's school (laughs) or outside training stuff. But a lot of what we explain to kids is, look, when you're watching TV, you're watching the NBA or, you know, Major League Soccer or Major League Baseball, these athletes didn't get that way coming to a trainer once a week for an hour. And so, so much of it is just consistency and repetition, especially at those young ages, kind of that seven to 13, though that's all repetition in your body learning those muscle movements, building that fast switch muscle. So yes, unfortunately, I do have to push the homework. But <laughs> I, I think a lot of parents actually appreciate as well. And I have two athletes of my own. I, I realize that it comes different when I'm telling them to do it than when you're probably telling them to do it. So. <laughs> right,
2: right, right. Like, right. Once they get to be Middle school. The last yes. person they want to hear from yes. is their parent. That I agree. I is, that agree. is for sure. You're, I, I I think you just kind of become background
0: noise. Yes, I I, I think so. Probably, probably.
2: Because <laughs> your parents don't know anything.
0: No, even I, if they went through the exact
2: same r- 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 thing. Right. right, right, right. Believe me, I my parents didn't know anything when I was in middle right, school either. Right, And now I, you know, the funny thing is, my my children are now old enough. I have very clear memories of being their age Yes, and I knew everything Yes, when I was their age.
0: Well, and that's actually kind <laughs> of why the company started is I played competitive softball and even got recruited to play in college. And so much of what I'm teaching kids at seven, eight, nine years old, I didn't learn until I was 16, 17 years old and I've been playing for a really long time. So I was breaking a lot of really naturally bad habits that I'd picked up over time and it, it changed my game once I learned how to do that. And what I see with a almost 13 and 14 year old is these kids are playing so much more so much earlier right. than they ever used to be that having these bad habits isn't just a bad habit anymore. It's dangerous. You see, 3.5 million kids a year getting medical treatment under the age of 14 for athletic related injuries. You see 2 million additional kids in high school ages getting medical treatment for athletic related injuries. So that is something that I really want to help them avoid. And that comes with more than once a week, which they never want to hear. Right.
2: Right. Well, it is amazing. You know, I mean, I just think about my son would play more games in a year that I played maybe in my entire childhood. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, one year we did rec baseball and then we got into travel baseball at the same time and he was eight turning nine and I think he played 75 games in Mm -hmm. six months or something. It was some unbelievable amount of games.
0: Well, and you think about it too, even if you have an incredibly well-run organization that baseball, for instance, is counting pitches and not allowing kids to pitch more than a certain number of pitches per day, then oftentimes a lot of these kids are dual registered in multiple leagues. So they're leaving their travel baseball and going to rec baseball or vice versa. And so they actually are going over what some of these healthy minimums are. And those minimums not only exist for their own safety, but those minimums aren't universal in my opinion if they're not doing the appropriate strength and conditioning, appropriate mobility work, those minimums can be way higher than what they should be at their age.
2: And and that's true and what I always said when we were doing that is it's the parents job to keep up with the pitch count. It's not the rec baseball coach may not know what the kid did in a travel tournament and the travel's coach isn't particularly know what the kid did in a rec tournament played rec ball that week. So to me, and we didn't do it long before we got out of baseball and he moved mainly into soccer, but now we're going back into baseball. We made it a point that we were going to count the pitches and we knew how many pitches and we kept it in our note in our iPhone because it was nobody else. I mean, yeah. there's no bigger advocate for your child than yourself. Right. And so the other trick for parents, if your kid is a catcher, and my child was a catcher back then, throwing the ball back to the pitcher is also a pitch. Mm-hmm. And so I think you can lose track of, well, he caught six innings, but in that six innings, he may have caught 100 pitches, which means he threw the ball back 100 times to the pitcher, and he may have, might have been throwing it full speed, but he still threw it back. Right. So one of the things that I tried to count was the number of times he basically was throwing the ball mm-hmm. because I didn't want him to get an overuse injury as a eight or nine-year-old when he was and, doing that.
0: And overuse injuries to me are kind of a, a passion topic, so I'll try not to be too much <laughs> on a soapbox here as I talk about them. But a lot of it comes, ironically, for lack of use because they're going to these tournaments, or whether it's baseball, soccer, basketball, any of these sports, really. My daughter plays tennis. She's a perfect example. She was serving a ton on a Saturday, but if she's not consistently serving throughout the week, She's going to get sore on Saturday with how much she does it. And that's really actually where overuse injuries come from is it's not just it's overusing it in that moment because your body's not used to using it that much. So an NBA player, for instance, they have so many reps that you're seeing a lot fewer overuse injuries because their body's used to that kind of taxing repetition, consistency, building has it's built the strength to be able to do that. So a lot of what we do with kids is, Look, you have to be training these muscles and using these muscles throughout the week. You can't just show up on Saturday and and do what you're going to do and play your best because Sunday is going to suck then.
2: Right, 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 and you get all the lactic acid that causes you to be <laughs> yeah. sore,
0: right? me, I it's am not simple, an athlete, but it's I, I, but things I things right. too. It's it's hydration. It's what they're putting in their bodies. And look, like I said, I have an almost 13 and 14 year old that love Bojangles and pizza and crap, basically, but, and, you know, are practically allergic to water sometimes, (laughs) but I also know how much that does for an athlete and their ability to perform. So some of this is just education of how can we get the kids doing this? And a lot of, and you know, this from your own son, a lot of the, the homework that they may have, they don't have to go to a gym. They don't have to be lifting weights, especially at those young ages when they shouldn't be lifting weights. It's getting outside and moving for an hour. It's not coming home from school and sitting on an Xbox for four hours before dinner time, eating dinner, showering, and then going back to your Xbox. It's maybe playing outside until the sun goes down and then making time for the Xbox. My attitude is I want kids to be kids. I want them to enjoy the things that they enjoy, like the iPads and the Xboxes and all that sort of stuff, because you only have time to do that right, right. Until believe me, age. Believe me. but i also think if you're committed to your sport and you're committed to what you want to do you have to prepare
2: okay well good well let's talk about i guess a little bit about how you got here i know you were a, a very good athlete as as a child we've been friends for a long time so where
0: were you born where'd you grow up so i grew up in eastern long island i played well i was a three sport athlete growing up i played Basketball, I'm not standing, luckily, so no one's going to be shocked that I played <laughs> basketball, but I played basketball, soccer, and softball growing up and just have also been a fitness enthusi- enthusiast and sports fanatic practically as long as I've lived. So one of the things that kind of got me into to wanting to do this is I'm a student of the game, whatever game that may be. So if there's a sport that I go see, for instance, I didn't grow up with hockey but I've become a hockey fan right. and I learned the rules and I learned the, the strategies right, and things right, like that. Right, That's right, what I'm really right. fascinated by. And so that has really helped kind of shift who I am and, and what I wanted to get into.
2: I got you. So where did you go to
0: college? I went to the University of Oklahoma, I Boomer you, Sooner.
2: You're a huge Sooner yes, fan. Yes, I
0: am a huge Sooner fan. Oh, of, to me, there's no greater place on earth. <laughs> But, did you play sports at Oklahoma? I did not. So I was invited as a preferred walk-on tryout. I elected not to play. I was facing an injury at the time. And uh, as I say, wanted to be a kid and have that college experience when it, it wasn't really going to be an option to play right then. And so I elected to do that. My parents said to me, one thing that has stuck with me and I hope to one day say to our kids, "Of, uh, I want you to go where you're going to be happy, not necessarily where you're going to play and i think that was exactly what i probably needed to hear at that age of okay what does my life look like after softball also keep in mind in, in 2004 there wasn't a whole lot of life after softball you know you weren't having professional leagues it was the olympic team or bust after college right. and so it, part of me was kind of what does my life look like at a, as an adult and out of school and things like that and as much as i've loved the game it was probably time for me to stop
1: playing at that point. Right. Have family law questions? Need guidance to navigate legal challenges? The compassionate team at Breeden Law Office is here to help. Visit us at www.breedenfirm.com for practical advice, resources, or to book a consultation. Remember, when life gets messy, you don't have to face it alone. And you,
2: you moved into real estate. How did you end up in real estate?
0: But kind of by accident, which I think is how a lot of people end up in real estate. But straight out of college, I, or straight out of grad school, actually, I was living in Washington, D.C., and my parents had that unfortunate conversation with me of, you have to start contributing. Uh, and I thought they were kidding for a while. And, and so I asked my cousin who was living there, I said, you know, I need a job. He was working for the Patent and Trademark Office and he connected me with his actual real estate agent at the time i worked as her assistant for about a year and then got my license and what i realized is it was something i was great at but not something that really like ignited my passion and that i loved and so i did that for about 10 15 years almost and loved every second of the time i was doing it but you know, call it a midlife crisis, if you will. But I've kind of had this epiphany at the the end of last year, end of 2022, of what can I do? What's my purpose? What do I want to do that's really going to leave my lasting legacy? And this was where I landed. Right. And you spent,
2: when I first met you, you were traveling around the country, giving speeches to large groups of people, training realtors, correct?
0: Yeah. So I've always had this saying that a coach is a coach. Right. Um, so once you get coaching in your blood, you're going to coach no matter what. Right, the right, is. right. Right. And so once you become good at something, you're going to coach people to try to do it better. And so I naturally kind of fell into coaching in, in real estate, which went well. But again, it's the subject matter wasn't what lit my fire. So I that's kind of how I came. How do I mesh those two passions, and that's how DPT started.
2: All right. Well, when and how did you get to Johnston County?
0: (laughs) Again, by accident. I've had a lot of uh, fortunate (laughs) accidents in my life, but I moved to North Carolina actually for a real estate job. I met my wife, Lynn, and fell in love, and I think she probably told me. She probably, yeah, she probably told me that I wasn't allowed to leave North Carolina, okay. um, which is a, a blessing. You know, I, as I say a lot of times, you know, I, I moved to North Carolina on a leap of faith and I haven't found one reason to leave, but have found a million reasons to stay. And I think, you know, having lived in, in Wake County, and Johnston County, we have a home down in New Hanover County, the sense of community that you have here in Johnston County is to me unlike any other place i've ever been to me it's a very strong community it's a very supportive community i i say that from both running you know gcaa and being on right. that board with you as well as r- building my own business here and launching my business here you know people do for each other and care about one another and they care about the community that we live in and you know as a kid even that's something i always wanted and have definitely found here
2: well, yeah, and I and that's one of the things that I love about it. You know, having moved here in, in two thousand, since a community, and how much this community has supported me and my family over the years. And it's one of the reasons I started this podcast was to promote the community and put a positive spin on Johnston County. Let's talk a little bit about. You know, I've been on the, the Greater Cleveland Athletic Association board since I think twenty. 15, you get on there and you kind of start to lose track of time, (laughs) you know, I I, I, forget how long you've been there. there. I, I was about, you know, my son was playing baseball and they asked me to help write some grants to try to get get you. Right. Right. To help (laughs) write some grants so that we could get some open space funding. Um, from the county to start fixing the facilities there, right across from the Cleveland Fire Department behind the old Cleveland Elementary School, which is where the majority of, of GCA is based now. We also have baseball and softball fields at Westview Elementary. We have soccer fields at Westview Elementary. And we've been very fortunate to have C3 now, Hope Front Church, allow us to use their backyard for soccer for many years. Mm-hmm. A tremendous supporter of this community, Hopefront Church. And, but we needed some things. So the first Grant, I wrote was I went to the county and the county wasn't actually giving out open space funds at the time they were sort of sitting on it. And and I think they were trying to count it towards their fund balance, yeah. which you can't really do You're trying to get the AAA bond rating, which they finally now have. And I was like, look, we got all these needs. I, I went to an open forum in the county like at the beginning where you give the three minute talk. And I was like, we need to do something. And they knew I was coming and it happened to be an election year. And that all sort of helped. And um, they said yes. And they came up with the plan. And if other people listen to this podcast, if you'll find the episode of Adrian O'Neill. It's going to be out where we go through all of that and some of the things we've done. He's the Parks and Rec Director Fantastic. for Johnston County. Go listen to that one. That's a fascinating take on what's going on as well. And we and they agreed. And, you know, all this money had built up from all these houses where the builders were paying money per lot into this open space funds because they were not setting aside open space in their neighborhoods because I think it was cheaper to pay the, the, the At that time, I it was only $400 a lot. Probably. Now I think it's $800 mm-hmm. a lot. And so they did. And, and the first thing that we were able to do is get them to put a new roof on the gym. Yeah. And this was before I even met you. Yeah. And they also then, agree. And that was over a hundred thousand dollars yes. to put a roof on the gym. That gym dates to the 1950s. Uh-huh. And you know, it's not a regulation size court. I think the court's like 76 feet. We're now a regulation kind of court is 94 feet. Yeah. And, and then we were able to get like $40,000 to pave the driveway around the gym, mm-hmm. which has led to some flooding issues. The gym we've had to work on, yes. you and I've worked on that, but because that was just a bunch of potholes and it was like the seven lakes out there. Mm-hmm. And that was like, we had Fred Smith company do That was like Forty or $50,000, and then over the years, we've gotten more, the county commissioners have done more open space funds. We were able to get $60,000 to redo the lights on the softball and the baseball fields mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. So it's been a labor of love as it has been for you. Yeah. You took over the basketball program, what, three years ago?
0: About four now.
2: Four years ago from Earl Crawford, who'd run it for about 10 years. Yeah. What's involved with the Greater Community Association's basketball program?
0: Yeah, so I actually, I took mine, took over basketball at the end of 2019. And as we all know, in March of 2020, that was interesting. So I took it over literally during the, the first COVID season. And I was thinking, what the heck did I get myself into? But luckily, I and I know that you can attest because you were in those meetings, I think the board really banded together. And I think if you're looking for... Uh, a, a testament to the community that Johnston County is. It was absolutely in that boardroom at that time because I know all of the conversations were, "How can we keep these kids playing? They need to do something." And obviously, health and well-being and safety was our, you know, chief concern. But it was also their kids. Right. <laughs> need right. A sense of normalcy. Right. They, they need a, sense, a way to play. Um. And so I think that was something that uh pulled at my heartstrings. But it. I also you know, grew up in programs like GCAA in Eastern Long Island. So I know that the youth programs that exist, built the middle schools that exist, built the JV and the varsity, and then eventually the college athletes that exist. And so I know how much support kids need at that age, how important it is for them to have a safe, fun outlet to play. I was, as I said, I was a basketball player, but a very elementary basketball (laughs) player at best. And, you know, a lot it's been such a joy to be in the lives of so many of those kids and watch them grow up. I walk around the community now and a lot of them recognize me. And oddly enough, I know most of their (laughs) names because they come across registrations year after year. So it's been a really cool experience. And I think we faced a lot of challenges as a community. That was one of the first things since moving to this community when I did that really kind of allowed me to dive in deep and understand kind of the heartbeat of this community and what people do for one another and how bad people really want to make it a great place.
2: Right, right. Well, and it's right. And so this year, how
0: many kids are in the program? About 400 in the program this year. We're just now uh, 2023 going into 2024. We're really just back up to full capacity again. We missed a few years for our really young kids during COVID when there were mask mandates in place. We couldn't keep a lot of the really young kids going because it was difficult for them to keep masks on and all of that. And so we kind of saw a lull in the program, but we're really back up. I mean, we had a wait list in most of our age groups. And so there's more work to be done as much as I think you and I want to bang our heads sometimes. I think we also know there's so much more work to be done with the exponential growth that we've seen in Johnston County has also come an exponential growth of the amount of kids that we need to serve. Um, And so I think, you know, we're constantly looking for places and ways to serve more kids and kind of the most rewarding thing that I see in GCAA is this past season, we had kids, show up to our assessments who were on the wait list saying we've been trying to get into your league we've gone to clayton we've gone to mcgee's we've played other places but we know this is the best run program around and i don't say that to pat myself on the back that is I could not do that without my coaches and the volunteers and the committee and even the kids. But I stand by that statement, and I do think that we are, and I think that is a testament to this Cleveland area community.
2: Yeah, and it's tremendous, and I've enjoyed every minute that I've I've dedicated to the Greater Cleveland Association. I've been the secretary for... I don't know how many years now, 6, maybe 7. I mean really, it's a labor of love and and it can be tiring and you know, I have a business and a family just like you do, but if you just go out there and you just see those kids and you see them smiling, you see them playing, you see them being active you can't not do whatever you can <laughs> to make that possible. Absolutely. You know, our county does not have a Parks and Rec program that actually does programming, mm-hmm. you know. So you have to have the McGreens Crossroads Athletic Association, NCAA. You have to have the Greater Cleveland Athletic Association, which is serving like 3,000 children this year. You have to have the Archer's Lodge group, you have to have the group in micro, you, you know, the South Johnson baseball organization, which is sort of a combination of Smithfield and, and Benson and Four Oaks, because, you know, we don't have a, we don't have a county parks and rec right. that does programming. Yeah. We didn't even have a parks and rec period until three years ago. Like I said, the, the episode Adrian O'Neill goes through all of that. If you're following this podcast, go back and listen to it. So I guess as we start to wrap this up, what has you excited about Johnston County right now and moving forward?
0: Yeah, I think the the growth that we're experiencing is good, not just good, it's great because I look at folks like you and I, your son's just about aged out of something like a GCAA, my son will age out in the next two years. But I also see this community growing and people who still want to stay involved. So you look at our president or vice president of GCAA. It's been ten years since their kids were aged in. Right, <laughs> Michael um, right. like not right. His kids are all
2: grown in college, married, right.
0: and as soon every time he threatens to be off of the board, we no one will let him. Um, <laughs> but and I say that you know in, in jest, but the truth is, I don't think he really wants to either because right. I think that he cares so deeply about this community. So I mean, what I'm so excited about is not just who we are as a community, but what this growth is doing for our community and who it's bringing in and people who really want, you know, the future of Johnson County to be bright.
2: Right. So if anybody wanted to get in touch with, with you and, and your dynamic performance training program, how would they do that?
0: Sure. So you can visit us at com. You can also find us on Instagram dynamic performance training. We post a lot of videos and content of what we're doing with the kids and drills that you can even do at home without us. Uh, but would love to talk to you guys
2: right and the program for you know is based right here in the cleveland community and i think all the training happens right out here yep. in the cleveland community so you don't have to live in the cleveland community you just have to be willing to get to the cleveland community to get the training and yes absolutely. you have people come from all over so you know anybody in johnson county or way county or anywhere if they would like this training they just need to get in touch with you and, and move it that way. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of The Best of Johnston County. If you are, depending on where you're at, if you would be kind enough to like or subscribe or follow this podcast, whether you're seeing it on Instagram or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or YouTube so that you'll be aware of the future episodes that come out every Monday with new new guests and, and community leaders. Uh, we've got a lot of great guests that are going to be coming out in the next few weeks. Um, go back and listen to some of the previous episodes, particularly the one, you know, maybe with Adrian O'Neill if you're interested in Parks and Rec and keep following us. I think it's going to be exciting. you are going to like to to, to you're like what you're going to hear. I am learning something every single time I do this. It's been fascinating. And my office is going to continue to bring this to you. So until next time, I'm Jonathan Breeden.
1: That's the end of today's episode of Best of Johnston County, a show brought to you by the trusted team at Breeden Law Office. We thank you for joining us today. And we look forward to sharing more interesting facets of this community next week. Every story, every viewpoint adds another thread to the rich tapestry of Johnston County. If the legal aspects highlighted raise some questions, help is just around the corner at www.breedenfirm.com.